16 subject to present this morning <coughs> probation is closing and our text of scripture is found in revelations 22 11 to 12 he that is unjust let him be unjust still and he which is filthy let him be filthy still and he that is righteous let him be righteous still and he that is holy let him be holy still and behold i come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be i have been preaching for some 55 years and I do not hesitate to tell you that in this sermon, I believe you will find it the most solemn, thought-provoking message that I have ever presented. Today, we are surrounded with alarming evidence that the Spirit of God is being withdrawn from the world. This is indicated by an overwhelming worldwide surge of homosexuality and lesbianism. As we look around, we see the most hideous crimes, such as parents killing their offspring and of children killing their parents. We read of great airways being filled to capacity with individuals going across the Pacific to the Orient to visit the child brothels and we see everywhere pornography this is the generation of youth <clears throat> who have totally disregarded the seventh commandment as the world degenerates morally and spiritually <clears throat> before our very eyes naturally we look to the church for help but we find only a few faithful leaders that are giving us the help we need in this hour. Somehow we get a sick feeling in the pit of our stomachs, for instead of a ministry that is leading us to be spirit-filled with the Holy Spirit, that we may be awake, we find that our ministry and our church is sound asleep. They are accepting <coughs> the doctrines from Babylon as taught in the new theology. They are marching to the drums of the papacy for ecumenical unity, for celebration, and for Pentecostal behavior. And leaders seem to be reaching for dictatorial power that they may use force to cause all to preach only love and unity in an atmosphere of peace and safety, when in reality, disaster is just ahead. What we need today is a clarion call to return to primitive godliness, for probation is closing. Let me carry you back to the beginning of my church. 
1844, when its foundations and pillars of faith were based totally on thus saith the word of God. It did not begin, as some are teaching today, because of a fear of a soon-coming Savior. Rather, it began with a Christ-centered truth that Jesus Christ had entered within the veil in the most holy, in the sanctuary in heaven above to begin the work of the judgment. The text and the authority for this movement was Revelation 14:7. Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. Our church preached that the final phase of Christ's ministration in the heavenly sanctuary was now taking place. Our church taught the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy, as you read in Daniel 7.10. The judgment was set. The books were opened. Seventh-day Adventists <clears throat> have a unique, peculiar message that there is a sanctuary in heaven where Christ, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> where Christ, our high priest, is conducting a judgment in which one by one, from the first death of Abel, each person who has ever lived upon this earth must have their case decided for life or death as of 1844, when the judgment began. For either their sins are to be blotted out, or the name is blotted out of the book of life. This is a work that will finally come to its last stage very, very soon, in which those who are now living will be judged to see if they are ready for heaven. When this judgment is finished, the door of mercy will forever be closed, and Christ will return to this earth, not as a priest to whom you may go and confess your sins and ask forgiveness before our mighty God. No, when Jesus comes, he comes as King of Kings, as Lord of Lords, to carry out the results of the judgment. We have been plainly warned, when the judgment ends, there will be no change in our characters. Revelations 22, 11 and 12, for he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Those words, behold, I come quickly, finalize the destiny of every man, woman, and child. Nothing absolutely nothing 
will change when he comes because there is nothing more that God can do for man. Literally, it will be finished. Every living soul has made their final decision. The wicked have chosen to remain unholy, to remain filthy in the sight of God. The righteous have settled into the truth by the Holy Spirit being poured out in the latter rain. They have become holy to remain forever holy. Just as the door <coughs> of the ark was shut in the day of Noah, those that were in the ark were sealed by a door that was shut. Thus, they were saved from the flood. But that same door that was shut made it impossible for those who were without the ark to be saved. And they were all lost. Now, before we proceed, we should discuss a little bit about this word probation. What does it mean? This is a time given in which the person will show evidence that he has changed his character and proved worthy to be forgiven and accepted fit for heaven. Or, during this probationary time, he has revealed that the life that he lives is unchanged, and he is unworthy of eternal life and must accept the penalty of everlasting death. Ellen White clearly ties the return of Christ <clears throat> to the work which he is now doing in the heavenly sanctuary. And when this work is completed, he will lay aside his priestly garments and clothe himself in the garments of vengeance. We are told that this change will find most of his church napping sound asleep because <clears throat> they have been taught and are believing in the new theology in which they may be saved in their sins. They need not obey because they are taught that Jesus obeyed for them at the cross. Now, if you think that I have a put this a little bit in a strong light. Our leaders are preaching this everywhere, and I found this in Elder Falkenberg's prayer, which he gave recently <coughs> in a camp meeting at Hope, British Columbia in 1991. And let me quote his words verbatim. Lord, Thank you for the assurance. Thank you for the promise that if I claim your name and look up to the cross of Jesus, my name is written in the book of life. What is he talking about? <clears throat> Notice these words that followed. 
it has nothing to do with how good I am or how I live or anything else, unquote. Now let me read to you from the servant of the Lord in Testimonies 2, page 191. When Jesus ceases to plead for man, the cases of all are forever decided. Probation closes. Christ's intercession ceases in heaven. This time finally comes suddenly upon all. And those who have neglected to purify their souls by obeying the truth are found sleeping. Now that is some very solemn words, for we note that obedience is necessary. I continue to read. If such had only known that the work of Christ in the heavenly sanctuary would close so soon, how differently would they have conducted themselves? How earnestly would they have watched? The Master, anticipating all this, gives them timely warning in the command to watch. He distinctly states the suddenness of his coming. He does not measure the time, lest we should neglect a momentary preparation. And so the watchword is beware, for this is a solemn time. Probation is soon to close and close forever. Now in the scriptures, Christ uses the fate of old Jerusalem to teach of the close of probation. Jerusalem is located within Palestine, and it is the most crucial piece of real estate in our entire world today. For Jerusalem is really the birthplace of three great religions, the Muslim religion, the Jewish religion, and Christianity. And the fate of this city is what the Middle East crises is all about. I do not agree in any way with Hal Lindsey who teaches the rapture theory and believes that the Jews are still God's peculiar chosen people and that when Jesus Christ returns, he is going to set up a literal kingdom within Jerusalem. You know, we, we hear this theme song, the king is coming of the rapture people how that uh, the drums will be playing, the people will be lining the streets, and the king will be coming through the gate of Jerusalem, speaking of the city here on this earth. This is not according to the Bible. The Bible teaches that when Jesus comes the second time, he will not touch the earth 
for all of the saints will meet him in the sky. Today the eyes of the world, however, are upon Jerusalem. The Jewish nation consists of little more than just a handful of a few million, but they are surrounded by 80 million Arabs, six times more than the, than the Jews in number. And here is to be found a powder keg that looks like it's ready to explode at any moment and which I believe has to do with the close of probation. Why aren't we not being told about these things from our ministers today? Why are the people so asleep? Why were the people back in the day of Christ time so asleep about the destruction of old Jerusalem? Christ had repeatedly tied the destruction of Jerusalem of old to the return, to his return to this earth. You read in Luke 21, 23, Woe unto them that are with child, to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And then these words, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles. How long? Until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now as the disciples failed to comprehend the truth for their day, so our church members are asleep and fail to understand what is happening today. Listen. Great Controversy 594. Before Christ's crucifixion, the Savior explained to his disciples that he was to be put to death and to rise again from the tomb. And then notice, and angels were present to impress his words on minds and hearts the words which they needed to remember were banished from their minds. And when the time of trial came, it found them unprepared. The death of Jesus so fully destroyed their hopes as if he had not forewarned them. So, in the prophecies, the future is opened before us as plainly as it was open to the disciples by the words of Christ. The events connected with the close of probation and the works of preparation for the time of trouble are clearly presented. But multitudes have no more understanding of these important truths than if they had never been revealed. What a sad picture. You see, the Jews back there were looking for a Messiah who would be a mighty general to free them from Rome and who would come and make Jerusalem the mightiest city on this earth. 
and we in God's last church somehow fail to comprehend the prophecies concerning old Jerusalem that are connected with our probation's close. And millions within our church are unprepared. Why? Because today, many within the church are looking for a Savior who, when he comes, will save them in their sins. And this is not what Christ is coming for. Now let us read those exciting words found in Daniel 11, verse 45, and chapter 12, verse 1. He shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, withstandeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that is found written in the book. Michael, of course, is Christ. And when he stands up in that heavenly sanctuary, there will be a time of trouble that will take place on this earth. And everyone will have made a final decision. Their case will have been decided for eternity. In volume 5 of the Testimonies, page 212, are these solemn words. Our own course of action will determine whether we shall receive the seal of the living God or be cut down by the destroying weapons. Already a few drops of God's wrath have fallen upon this earth. And you will agree with me as we have just recently learned of that terrible earthquake up in the northern part of Russia. When we look over Japan in Kobe, and see the thousands that died in that terrible destruction, we see the drops of God's wrath beginning to fall. <clears throat> but let me read on. But when the seven last plagues shall be poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, then <clears throat> it will be forever too late to repent and find shelter. No atoning blood will then wash away the stains of sin. I'm continuing to read. At that time might shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that same time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. 
when this time of trouble comes, every case is decided. There is no longer probation, no longer mercy for the impenitent. Unquote. Now, did you note that God's prophet here connects what happens in Jerusalem to the close of probation? I believe from my study of Daniel that that term, he, as we read in Daniel 11:45, that it refers to the papacy, and we do not have time in this study to go back through the scriptures and to reveal clearly that the he represents the papacy. But I believe that as we continue our study and you see what is happening today in the world about us, that this is what prophecy was foretelling us. Now let's work, look at the words between the seas. He, referring to the papacy, shall plant the tabernacles of his palaces between the seas. Now you notice it uses the plural. There's more than one palace that is to come. And then, of course, as we look at the geography of this area that we are discussing, we discover that Jerusalem lies between the Mediterranean Sea and that great Dead Sea. So Jerusalem fulfills this prophecy. Then what about the words, in the glorious holy mountain? Well, let's let Daniel explain that. In Daniel 9, 16, he tells us, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain. So here again, we find that Jerusalem is what this prophecy is talking about. Let me read it again. And he, the papacy, shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him and at that time shall Michael stand up. So we are to look for those signs today of the papacy planning and endeavoring to locate his palace in old Jerusalem. And when this comes to pass, we know that Michael will stand up. So we should be watching what is happening in this world to old Jerusalem. Now I read in Luke 21, Matthew 24, that Jesus, as he was talking about this destruction of Jerusalem with its terrible loss of life that was to come in A.D. 70, that he ties it in with Daniel 11:45 and 12:1, and with Luke 21:24, for it says, "Until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled." Then it says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of the desolation, 
spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Something is to happen. As Daniel says, an abomination of desolation is to take place within the city of Jerusalem. Now you will agree that Jesus ties this prophecy of Jerusalem destruction with Daniel's prophecy as I have just read. Then we read from the servant of the Lord in Councils to Writers and Editors, page 23, in the 21st chapter of Luke, Christ foretold what was to come upon Jerusalem, and with it he connected the scenes which are to take place in the history of this world just prior to the coming of the Son of Man in the clouds. I'm reading on. This is a warning to those who claim to be Christians. Only by being clothed with the robe of Christ's righteousness can we escape the judgments that are coming upon the earth. Let all remember that these words were among the last that Christ gave to his disciples. In these sacred, solemn warnings, the danger signal is lifted. It is this instruction that church members and the people of the world need, for it is present truth. That's why I have prepared this sermon, because I love to preach present truth. Now let's look at some of the details. There is a date that you should keep in mind, June 1967. For on that date, something happened in Jerusalem. For almost 2,000 years, the Gentiles controlled it. But on that date, Jerusalem was occupied once more by the Jews, and probation began to close. Now, there are many details involved in the close of probation, and as we study them, we will see that this is but the beginning. But it behooves us to know that we are in the very end of time. The closing events are now beginning to transpire before our very eyes. You know, I have often wondered why Christ was not more specific when he talked about the destruction of old Jerusalem and connected it with the second coming. But I found the answer recently in Desire of Ages 628. Christ mingled the description of these two events. Notice, he mingled them. He opened to his disciples future events as he beheld them. They would have been unable to endure the sight. In mercy to them, he blended the description of the two great crises leaving the disciples to study out the meaning for themselves. When he referred to the destruction of Jerusalem, his prophetic words reached beyond that event to the final conflagration in that day 
when the Lord shall arise out of his place to punish the world for their iniquity. This entire discourse was given, not for the disciples only, but for those who should live in the last scenes of this earth's history. Unquote. Now, if you were listening carefully, you'll notice it says, when the Lord shall arise out of his place to punish the world. The focal point, then, is that probation has closed. Now, as we study in detail to catch a mental picture, let me go back with you to the time when Jesus was here on this earth. In A.D. 33, it was here that Jesus was condemned in Jerusalem and was led out to be crucified. Then comes the date A.D. 70, in which Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans, and it came from that time on under the dominion of the Gentiles. We follow on down through the years to A.D. 335. Here we find the church, first church of the Holy Sepulchre was built. In the year 614 A.D., it was destroyed by the Persians, who controlled Jerusalem. And then in A.D. 638, Umar destroyed the Persians. And this made it possible for the Moslems to come in and to rule Jerusalem. Then in A.D. 685 to the year 705, it was the time when the Moslems were building that church which is known of as the Dome of the Rock. Then came A.D. 1099 to 1244, in which the Christian Crusades invaded Jerusalem and drove out the Moslems. But the Turks controlled Jerusalem until 1917, when Britain seized control of Jerusalem. You notice, all this time, the Gentiles were in control. Then came the first step, 1949. Jerusalem was divided between Israel and Jordan. Then in 1967, Israel seized the Jordanian half of the city, and now it was entirely under the control of Jerusalem. So then in 1980, Israel transferred the seat of her government from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and now declares that its capital is Jerusalem, no longer under the control of the Gentiles. But yet, Israel dares not do a number of things, for there are still some conditions as we shall study on. But the time now is open for an alien power to plant the tabernacles of his palace in the glorious holy mountain, at which time Michael shall stand up when this kingdom comes to an end. Look at this spiritual attachment to Jerusalem. The Christians, of course, 
claim it to be a very sacred spot, for it was here that Jesus Christ was condemned and led out to be crucified. And we, as Christians, always somehow find it a very solemn thought in our heart. Then look at the Muslims. It is here that they have the Dome of the Rock enshrined on the very spot which they believe tradition tells them that Mohammed, their prophet, went up to heaven. And so this is a very sacred spot to the Muslims. And then there are the Jews. This, of course, was the city of David. And they still have the Western Wailing Wall as a reminder of the Second Temple. It, too, is a very sacred spot. All three of these religions are interested and have a vital interest in Jerusalem. But now, let's consider why the papacy is interested in entering this picture. If you know anything about the United Nations and a one-world government, you will certainly know as you study prophecy that this is a plan of the papal power to develop a United Nations with a one-world government, with a one-new-world order, in which the Pope is going to seize control and be the spiritual head of all the governments of this world. And the governments, in turn, are going to look to the papacy to assure an everlasting peace. Now we begin to see why the papacy is interested in Jerusalem. Because in this place, the papacy is planning to develop a second Vatican in which, from Jerusalem, they can control all the problems of the world. Now, where do we find some of these details that I'm bringing to you? They are found in an editorial of the Jewish Press of September 2, not long ago, 1994, in which I am going to read to you. The claim of Jerusalem is to become, I'm quoting, a second Vatican of the world with all three major religions represented under the authority of the Vatican. A Palestinian state is to emerge in confederation with Jordan, and its religious capital is to be Jerusalem, but its administrative capital would be situated elsewhere. Now, you catch the picture, do you? We find the papacy planning to bring in and develop its second Vatican. Here is the center for the Jews. It will be then, by the papacy, the center for all Christianity. And the Muslims, too, will be able to call this, their capital, a religious capital. I read on. A number of foreign ministry claims the plan is a good one because Israel's ties to the Catholic world 
will lead to trade, tourism, and prosperity. Further, Perez believes with a strong governing authority, that is, he's speaking of the papacy, that future disputes between the Arabs and the Israelites will be easily solved. I'm reading on. The design of the Vatican for Jerusalem has been known for some time. One month before the basic law making Jerusalem the capital of Israel, the Vatican placed a letter before the president of the Security Council of the United Nations and asked that it be circulated as a document to that council. And this document is numbered S-14032, and it calls for Jerusalem and the surrounding area as a territorial internal, interna internationalization of the city. The Vaticanation plan prepared by Perez incorporates this concept. Now, isn't it amazing? We are not told these things as we listen to the daily newscast. But here we see the papacy working behind the scenes, developing Jerusalem as its future center of a Vatican. Pope John Paul II ensured an apostolic letter, and I'm still quoting, which focuses on his desire for Jerusalem. He wrote, Jerusalem stands out as a symbol of coming together, of a union, of a universal peace for the human family. And so the Pope, you see, sees that if he can have a Vatican in Jerusalem, from there he can control the whole world, and this is his plan. I read on from what he says, the Pope says, I think of and long for the day on which we shall all be taught of God, that we shall listen to his message of peace and reconciliation. I think of the day on which the Jews, Christians, and Moslems will meet each other in the city of Jerusalem with the same greeting of peace with which Christ greeted the disciples after the resurrection. Peace be unto you. Now the Pope closed his letter with a very significant comment about peace. I'm quoting, This peace proclaimed by Jesus Christ in the name of the Father who is in heaven thus makes Jerusalem the living sign of the great ideal of unity, of brotherhood, and of agreement among peoples according to the illuminating words of the book of Isaiah. And then he quotes from Isaiah in which God is not speaking, but which God says that the people of the world will say, listen, many people shall come and say, come, let us go up into the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he will teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. 
So now you can see the Pope's objective for Jerusalem. It is a symbol of universal rulership over the world, and it is here he wants to put his second Vatican as a living sign of the unity of the world in which he will control. Now to express his objectives, remember Satan is to appear as Christ. What better place for Satan to appear in this world than in Jerusalem of old and there to claim the throne of David? All three great religions of this world would unanimously accept him as the Christ. Can you see what's developing? Now consider also a few more connections that I must bring to you between John Paul II and Arafat. The information that I'm to give you comes from the book The Year of Armageddon, published in Granada, London, 1984 in which Arafat was shown the Vaticanation plan for Jerusalem before he signed the Declaration of Principles. He agreed not to oppose the plan, and furthermore, we read that he shared this information with a number of his influential Palestinians. Recently, Arafat told the Pope that the time will come when he will accompany the Pope into Jerusalem and that the Pope would receive a Palestinian welcome that would be equal to that which the Pope received in Poland in 1979. Think of it. We're living in the last moments, moments of this world's history. Oh, that we would realize that probation is getting ready to close. Now the Pope sees Arafat as assuming a role of an elder statesman in the Middle East affairs. The Holy See, as the Pope is called by the world, has fashioned a plan for the creation of a homeland for the PLO. And... We must remember that the expectations of Arafat leading the Pope by the hand through the city of Jerusalem in the coming plan when the Vatican is installed. Remember, this is on a condition provided he can physically survive. For he has many, many enemies that would kill him in a moment if they had an opportunity. And so the Vatican is trying to preserve his life. Let me show you how the Vatican is working with the nations of the world. When Assad of Syria decided to remove Arafat from the Middle East cockpit, he bottled him up in the Lebanese port of Tripoli. Perhaps you remember this in the news, but you did not know that the papacy intervened to save his life. The papacy requested the Greek government to make available five transport ships 
and then it persuaded the French government to provide a naval armada. And when Israel brought in its gunboats to stop the escape, the Pope approached President Reagan and persuaded him to put the pressure on Israel to withdraw its gunboats. And this is exactly what happened. So you see, the Vatican is orchestrating everything that is now happening in the Middle East. For Jerusalem is its chief priority. Remember that behind the moves of the papacy, inspiration has pictured this power as the one who designs someday soon, and I quote from the scripture, Isaiah 14, 13, to sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. John Paul II envisions Jerusalem as a symbol of coming together, of a union, of all the nations of the world in universal peace. But in Revelation, God unveils the sinister workings behind the diplomatic maneuverings in the Middle East. For in Revelation 16, 14, it says, they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth to the kings of the earth and to the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Remember, way back after the flood, Satan failed in his attempt to erect a tower of Babel on the plain of Sharnar, in which he was going to put his throne and from there rule the world. And he failed. But once again, he is planning to erect his tower in, quote, the mount of the congregation, unquote, which is in Jerusalem. And God has defined this as Babylon the Great in its last attempt for universal unity and control of the world. So as I close this message, let me focus once more on Daniel 11:45 and 12:1. He shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him, and at that time shall Michael stand up the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. So to summarize, when these verses are fulfilled, such as the planting of the tabernacle of his palaces between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. And those words, coming to his end, and none shall help him. And those words 
and Michael shall stand up. Then we know that all probation has closed. And so my message today is probation is fast, fast running out. It is beginning to close. Let us now seek God earnestly for forgiveness and let us so live that we may be able to receive that divine power to overcome while we'll still have a high priest in the heavenly sanctuary to help us. For we must become victorious over every sin before Jesus comes. This is why he said in Luke 21, 36, some of the last words he ever spoke, Watch, therefore, and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are amazed as we begin to see with our eyes the fulfillment in these last days of the final events predicted by thy prophets. As we see them coming to pass, Lord, help us daily to reach out and open our hearts that the divinity of God may be able to join with our humanity so that we, like Jesus, can overcome every besetment and be ready to see thee before probation closes. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.